This is Conquering Columbus. Hey everybody, Andy here, stepping in for Mike this week to introduce you to this episode of Conquering Columbus. Today, Josh and Mike are talking with Dr. Luis Rodino Claypack, Chief Scientific Officer of Sarepta. Early on in the episode, Josh and Mike asked for a quick breakdown on one of Luis's specialties, gene therapy. Gene therapy is a way of targeting the exact lesion or cause of a disease. So most genetic diseases are caused by mutations, and then that, that leads to an absence of a protein or it doesn't function right. So gene therapy is a way to give back a normal functioning version of that gene, which then makes the protein that the patient is missing. And to do that, we use a small virus. It doesn't cause disease. It's in the normal population. We've all been exposed to it. But what we've done is taken it and engineered it, taken out the viral genes, put in the gene that we want, make it so that it doesn't replicate, and then we can give it back to patients and then have that virus go everywhere. Later, Louise talked about some of the areas outside of her career that she focuses on when it comes to science. I'm passionate about science in schools and have done a lot of um, outreach in, in schools and, and talking about career paths. Also about doing what we're doing and so educating the community about the biotechnology industry. I think there's so many misconceptions out there and I just like to be able to make a small difference and educate people so that they don't think that it's some um, black box sinister in a way in some right. cases what people think. So I'd like to be part of somehow changing the dynamic there. They wrap up talking about some of the challenges Luis has faced along the way in her career and how failure and science come together to create success. I think what I've learned is that what seems like you know an awful situation at the time, usually there's good reason for it. And a lot of scientific science is the truth. And so when you reflect back on it, there was a reason that failed and then you learn from that. And so now I think when we, when I have a failure, I'm not quite as drawn down by it. I can say, there's a reason for this. Let me figure out what it is and move on. And so I guess my ability to adapt has just gotten better and better over time. And so I don't really get depressed over when something goes wrong because I know there's a way to fix it. As always, thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cochrane Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike here, and it is Josh and I in the booth today. Josh, what's going on? Not too much, man. Just enjoying this nice week in Columbus. Mm -hmm. You're going to talk about the weather right now? I'm not. Okay, I'm yeah. not going to talk about the weather. However, I sensed it coming. However, <laughs> this is the best time for weather. Yeah. In Columbus? In Ohio. You probably. just said you're not going to talk about it, and then here we are. Uh, you baited me. I did. I bet. I bet. <laughs> it's probably the only thing going on. I am seeing Joe Rogan tomorrow. That's kind of cool, I guess. But mm -hmm. uh, we His gotta... podcast is only slightly larger than ours. Yeah. So, I mean, they definitely... If people know about ours they definitely don't know about his because ours right. is definitely bigger than that Very <laughs> and then we have a, a wedding on saturday i'm looking forward yeah. to so it's a good, right. good thursday should be a good weekend should be a good weekend but uh, we might as well jump into our guest today and get to the stuff that people actually care about here so today on the show we are joined by dr luis rodino claypack and luis is the executive vice president and chief scientific officer at sarepta she joined Sarepta in June of 2018 and was appointed Executive Vice President and Chief Scientific Officer in December of 2020. Prior to this role, she served as Sarepta's Senior Vice President of over gene therapy. She became the head of R&D in November of 2021 and has led the design of most of Sarepta's late-stage gene therapy candidates and has built and led Sarepta's Genetic Therapies Center of Excellence in Columbus, Ohio. She also has oversight for Sarepta's Gene Editing Innovation Center in Durham, North Carolina, and she is renowned for her contributions to neuromuscular biology, which have profoundly advanced the field. She is author to a significant body of published and peer-reviewed work and the recipient of multiple awards recognizing her impact and accomplishments as a scientist and a leader is a National Institutes of Health 
fellow appointee and is a current board member of the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine, as well as a member of the American Society for Gene and Cell Therapy and the American Academy of Neurology. If you can't tell, she does a lot. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Louise. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. You sound like you should be 100 years old. How do you do all that <laughs> in just one third Sorry of a life? Sorry for all of that. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's fun. I, I feel very grateful for everything I do. Yeah. Most of the time that I sit here and I go, okay, yeah, this guest across from me is definitely smarter than me. But now I'm sitting here going, wow, I don't even know what questions to ask you. But hopefully we can get a uh, good good conversation going today. But uh, appreciate you joining us. So one of the first places we like to start is just talk a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you are today. I mean, maybe going as far back as what made you want to get into clinical research and medicine. Yeah, I was actually interested in genetics very early. So as early as junior high school. So it sounds like I'm going to go back all the way to. <laughs> I That's won't, fine. I won't We're here to go all the way back. back. Did you grow up? Where'd you grow up in Ohio? Yeah. I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania. And then I came here um, for actually a, a fellowship or an internship between my junior and senior year in undergrad at Ohio State in the Department of Molecular Genetics. And then I had a great experience. And so I decided to come back here for graduate school. So I've been here ever since. So over 22 years, we've been in Ohio. But, but you didn't actually do undergrad at Ohio State, right? You just no, came here for that No, just graduate instant. school, yeah. Okay. And where was your undergrad at? It was in a small liberal arts school called King's College in Pennsylvania. But they had a good science program there, and it was great to come here. So what, what drew you to genetics and gene therapy? Earliest, I don't know. My mind just works in mathematical ways. So genetics, in a way, is kind of like mathematical puzzles and then having the ability to be able to help people with genetic diseases. I think mm -hmm. we can all identify someone in our families that has some rare disease, some, um, some genetic disease. And so having the ability to help people always intrigued me. And that's what kept me going this whole time. Yeah. And so for people who maybe don't know exactly what we're talking about, right? I think we've had maybe one other gene therapy company on the past, but what, when we talk about gene therapy, what, what exactly are we talking about in genetic diseases? Uh, gene therapy is a way of targeting the exact lesion or, or cause of a disease. So most Genetic diseases are caused by mutations, and then the, that leads to an absence of a protein or it doesn't function right. So gene therapy is a way to give back a normal functioning version of that gene, which then makes the protein that the patient is missing. And to do that, we use a small virus, which is called adeno-associated virus, or AAV. It doesn't cause disease. It's in the normal population. We've all been exposed to it. But what we've done is taken it and engineered it taken out the viral genes, put in the gene that we want, mm -hmm. make it so that it doesn't replicate, and then we can give it back to patients and then have that virus go everywhere. At that point, we call it a vector. It's no longer a virus. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people out there who haven't gone to school for this that would say, well, wait a minute, that sounds like we're creating crazy viruses that could cause a lot of problems. What Are there risks associated with that, if any? No, this is extremely safe. So we make it so that it can't replicate. So what happens if you, let's think of COVID, right? Or any other flu virus that you get. So it goes into your body and it replicates and you start feeling bad all over. What we do is make a lot of particles, trillions of particles in the lab and then deliver it all at once. So it can't make you sick. It's just getting into your cells and delivering this, this new copy. And there's been well over 30 to 40 years of research to show that it's safe. And that's interesting. I didn't realize that you make all the copies and then put them in. I thought, you know, maybe it's similar to a virus that's replicating, no. but it's not replicating no. once you once you give it to the patient. Right. And, and at what point, so like my ignorance, Mike's got a background in biology, so his questions are going to be much more sophisticated. Mine, <laughs> mine are going to come from like the toddler corner. So my, my knowledge of most medical things stops from the surface level sickness or 
uh, I don't want to label everything as a sickness, but for lack of a better word, you know, what something that you might be born with that's an abnormality and then just not understand what's going to happen below the surface, like a virus versus et cetera. So as you look at gene therapy and you look at what it's applicable to and you're, and you're describing that to the uh, layman, I think is the right term, mm-hmm. how would you break that down where this could actually, this, this science and technology could be applicable? So the most obvious place is any genetic disease where you don't have that gene or it's not working and you can put it back. There's potential applicability to larger indications or diseases in which you might be given genes that's not replacing something, but it's upregulating something or it's being act, acting as a surrogate for something else to help something. Um, so this is, let's think about, we work on muscular dystrophy. I'll use that as an example. We're working on the genetic targets, but there are parts of muscular dystrophy like inflammation and scar tissue. And so you could work on a potential therapy that just targets the inflammation, for example, and that could be applicable to gene, to muscular dystrophy or other uh, diseases. So I hope that helps. It's, you know, there's a number of different ways. I think the potential is sort of exponential as to what you could do with it. It does help. I, I think my wrap on question with that is how many of the treatments that you're applying are things that you discover right at birth? Um, or can they be, are some of them late onset? I would have to assume that the good majority of these is like, it's something that you you're born with and you're going to recognize it right away. Maybe you recognize it two or three years later, but these aren't things that 20 years of your life and you all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, I have this pop up. It's kind of a mixture. So the muscular dystrophies that we work in, Duchenne muscular dystrophy is typically diagnosed between the ages of three to five. Mm -hmm. There are a number of newborn screening programs that are trying to get it on the newborn screening list so that you could know at birth. Some of the other forms of muscular dystrophy that we work on might not be diagnosed until your teens and 20s. And so it is a wide variety of ages that are in our clinical trials and would potentially benefit. Yeah, because not all genetic disorders, right? Like if you think about a genetic disorder, not all genetic disorders, and feel free to correct me if I'm butchering this, but you might have a genetic disorder, not know about it, and it might never get triggered because it's not just caused by the problem with the gene. It could be environmental triggers could incite a disease or inflame a disease that was already there. You just didn't know about it because you didn't have the exposure to the thing that was going to trigger it. So some genetic diseases can lie dormant for a long time, even though you, you've always had that genetic mutation that could cause the underlying disease. So I've watched Mike fall asleep at least in 70 different public facilities, bars, restaurants. Do you think think that we could save him or do you think that's probably a lost cause, huh? I don't know. You never know. We could find out. There's a... (laughs) Well, now that we've gone down the rabbit hole of gene therapy uh, and how genetic diseases work, I think it's a good place to kind of pivot back to your career and what you're doing. So talk to us a little bit about how you ended up with Sarepta and what this experience has been like so far. I was first introduced to Sarepta around 10 years ago. Um, At that time, I was at Nationwide Children's Hospital. I had gone there for my fellowship and then stayed on as faculty running my own lab. I was in or helping with one of the clinical trials for what is now Sarepta's first uh, approved therapy, which was called Exondus. That's using a technology called exon skipping, which is not gene therapy, but it's still genetic medicine. And I was involved in that trial and um, loved working with them. And so when it came time to license out the technologies that I developed in my lab, which were gene therapies, uh, Sarepta was the obvious partner. And they've been fantastic in allowing me to create and start a genetic therapy center of excellence here, doing all of research here. That was extremely important to me because that's not an option that I had coming out of school was there was no biotech in Columbus. And mm-hmm. so being part of the whole biotechnology ecosystem and giving other people opportunities was 
really important to me. So it's the best of both worlds doing my research and giving that opportunity to others as well. So are there like graduate students working at the center? We have a lot of people that came right out of graduate school. So not so they in get it, the opportunity to stay, to in, stay the area. in the area. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. And so there's, there wouldn't be like students doing their, I don't know, study clinical studies or anything like that. I don't know how that works at a graduate school. We do have school. interns. We right. have interns that come in the summers. Okay. And, yeah, so Interesting. Great. Okay. And so you get this repto. I mean, you first start off as the EVP, right? What were you in charge of at that point and kind of what was the role like and how has that evolved over time for you? Uh, when I first came, I was in charge of gene therapy. So that at that point, Sarepta was just getting into gene therapy and I came to help build that. Um, and then it, that evolved to SVP and then chief scientific officer where I took over all of research, which included our RNA and gene editing research. And then last year I took over all of R&D, which means all of research, all development, which is all our clinical studies. Um, so my department is around 350 people, and that's across Columbus, Boston, as well as North Carolina and remote around the world. So it sounds like every step of the way you've proven yourself, you've getting, been given more and more opportunities. Is there anything in particular you think that you could point to and say, hey, this is something that I've done well that I feel like has allowed my teams to be successful? Or is there, you know, is it recruiting good people in? Is it something you're doing? What, what, what exactly has allowed you to excel and kind of keep moving up that ladder? I think it's a combination of things. I've always focused on the science and doing good science and let everything else just come. And I think mm -hmm. that that's done well as I wasn't trying to climb a ladder, it just sort of happened. And I've been focused on building a great team, letting them do good work, giving them the space to do good work um, and making sure I'm taking away any barriers. I, I hate you know having meetings for the sake of having meetings or extra layers to make decisions. So any sort of barriers that I can remove to make things more efficient is important to me as an organization. So, And the process for developing new therapies is already pretty bogged down with a lot of red tape and slowness, right? right. So any, any type of challenges internally would continuously even slow that down even more. Right, exactly. What about like the more mental side of things and your motivations. I'm always really intrigued, especially when it comes to people in science, because a lot of them are so, they're so excited and driven by the the research they're working on and the field they're working on, but yet the professional elements of climbing the ranks and trying to run an organization is pretty exciting to people too. And so have you always wanted to run an organization? You've always been very business driven or has it always just been the science side? It's primarily been the science that drove me. And it's interesting because a lot of people, or there's not been a lot that have come from academia and transitioned into industry. And a lot of them haven't done it well because there's a different mindset in academia, more exploratory sometimes, sometimes not really focusing on how to get something approved. Um, and so mm -hmm. I think one thing that I have done well is transitioning into biotech and being able to know what it takes to get a drug approved mm -hmm. and, and seeing both sides, the, the science part of it, but then also the development part and running an organization and what it takes. Are you still heavily involved in the science part of it today? Or are you more kind of pointing people around, telling them, hey, work on that, love that, keep doing that? Like, how does how does your day to day look right now? I mean, I kind of get the fun part where I'm not working at the bench anymore. It's been a long time since I've actually been at the bench. But having that high level view and having scientists come to me and show me the data, I still get excited. So I'm as involved as I can be. But I obviously have a great team that I trust mm -hmm. um, to keep the science driving forward. With a pharmaceutical company or gene therapy company, I'm guessing probably have a lot of the similar problems. But funding is one of the ones that that's a big challenge. When you joined Sarepta, was was it everything well funded? Were you guys not worried about that? Like, what what was that like? It's interesting because coming from academia, you're always writing grants, and that was a big part of the job. And so coming to industry was that was one of the benefits. I didn't have to write grants anymore. Um, so I, we're very well funded at Sarepta now. It's 
we are a public company, you have to raise money, but things have been going well and you know we're close to potential approvals. And so we're, we're very fortunate, I think in this biotechnology space right now, not every company is so fortunate. Hey everybody, Mike here. We're gonna take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. And you broke gene therapy down into treating something that you're born with versus maybe some type of enhancement, if I understood that right mm -hmm. earlier. And so as you look at Sarepta today and the division of the organization, do you guys categorize things in a certain way? Are there certain departments working on one group versus the other? And then what is the, like the, I don't want to use too much jargon, about I don't know how else to describe it, the value chain of activities through the organization. Like, do you typically win business in a certain category, try for years to get it approved? And if it does, it's a moonshot or are there constantly things coming out? It's a good question. So across um, all of our research, we have sort of three platforms. So our RNA technology, which we have three approved drugs and we continue to develop those. And that's more of a, a chronic therapy. Um, and it's done wonders for boys with Duchenne. And then we're obviously a big part of our business is, is gene therapy. And once you develop one and get it approved, that will help in the subsequent pipeline programs. And so we have a, a large emphasis there. Mm -hmm. And then the next level of technology is going to be gene editing, which is slightly different where you're actually editing a person's gene versus giving them a new one. Um, and that technology is, is earlier, but it has huge potential as well. So you kind of have to work in all of these modalities. You have to think about the indication or the disease and say what's best for that. How can we time it so that we have a, an option for patients now and have something maybe 10 years down the road or five years down the road. So it's, it's a lot of balance and making sure that these 40 programs are all moving along as they should and have the best potential to help patients. So, so an RNA, like a chronic therapy is a therapy that you're giving them treatment over time, right? So mm -hmm. it, it, I'm guessing it sounds like you're maybe creating or simulating the RNA marker or the RNA the RNA that they're missing, right? Because if they're missing a certain protein, they're missing the the DNA to make that RNA that would then be used to create the protein. Yeah. So you're yeah. basically serving up that RNA over time. So in our case, we're editing the RNA. So it's sort of skipping over the mutation mm -hmm. to allow the protein to be produced. Got so. it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So Josh, you following? No, not really, but I'm, I'm like, I'm just going to keep myself out of the deep weeds of the science and just yeah. like accept the fact that this isn't my world. So the science for dummies is DNA mm -hmm. is used to make something called RNA, and then RNA is used to make proteins. And so if you've got a genetic mutation that causes the RNA not to work right, then you can't make that protein and that causes the disease. And so that's the that's the first part of the gene therapy, but then you go into the gene editing. And that would fix the DNA. That would fix the DNA. Yeah. yeah. So you're inter intervening at different parts of yeah. the process. Gotcha. Makes sense. Very, okay. very simplified version of events, but that's <laughs> yeah. And then once you wrap up, let's just call it a, a technology, maybe I can call it a technology or a, 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 product, a therapy. A therapy there. 
And then you will work with distributors in the space to get that to the populace that it's relevant to, or how does that process work? Yeah, so we've commercialized each therapy that we've, so we do it ourselves for the gene therapy that we're, that's most advanced right now, which is called SRP9001 for Duchenne. We have, have rights within the United States, and then we have a partner, Roche, which is a big uh, pharma outside of the United States, and they'll commercialize it outside of the United States. So you mentioned that particular treatment for Duchenne. Is that probably one of the, I mean, what have been the biggest breakthroughs in your time? I'm guessing that's one of them, but in your time with Sarepta, what have been the biggest successes? Yeah, that would be the, that would be the biggest. It's, you know, huge unmet need. Uh, these boys have this devastating, you know, chronic muscle loss over time. And we have some good options with our um, approved RNA therapies, but this would get to a broader population within Duchenne that only targets um, a small subset, about 30%, the current approved therapies. And I guess the, the follow-up question I have is, what are you working on right now that your team's excited about that you can share? I know a lot of this stuff is probably kept under wraps until you know what clinical mm-hmm. results look like or initial tests look like, but what, what are the things you're working on right now that you're really excited about? I think, I mean, there's a lot. It's hard to pick one thing, but um, the Duchenne program mm-hmm. is moving along, but then we have six additional limb girdle muscular dystrophy programs, different types of genes, uh, and those are moving along at pace. And then we have a variety of early research programs that we're all very excited about as well in different indications. There's no shortage of things to do. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah. Unfortunately, right? <laughs> yeah. What are the biggest challenges that you and the team face throughout the day-to-day and scaling the organization? In general, science is hard, but we, we already know that. Scientists know that. We know that's part of our day-to-day. So I would say that's not the hardest part of it. Mm-hmm. I think being able to just tackle the challenges of something doesn't work. The other thing I'll say is we're, you know, as I mentioned, 350 people. So you have to make sure that you're aligned and that communication is is well, mm-hmm. especially when you're working across multiple sites. But we're, I think we're doing it well. And I'd say mm-hmm. that's the biggest challenge. So as you started and as you've continued, I mean, obviously you were leading people from the start, but as you've gotten more and more staff and more and more people under your department, what have you had to change to adapt to that? And, and like, what was the biggest challenge for you going from, say, you know, and I, maybe not at Sarepta is where you started doing this, but for going from just that scientist to leading people, leading teams, and what have you had to adapt over time? I'm someone that likes to know the details. And um, so something that you have to learn is being able to let go, being mm-hmm. able to delegate. So having a strong team and, and letting them lead is important. I think knowing that maybe they won't make the, the same decision that you would have made, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe once in a while, I'll make the wrong decision or they will, but, and that's okay. That's just part of it. So that's a big transition that I'd say, as I mentor people that are up and coming, that's something that I tell them that they have to learn. Especially with scientists who probably really like to have very detailed understanding of everything that's going on in their field, right? In their, their area. I, I can't imagine there's too many scientists out there that go a long ways that aren't very attentive to detail. Right. But it's nice that I've done it all. And so I can quickly dive mm-hmm. in and understand if I need to. I think some people that are too far removed lose track. Of it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. A, it's a balance. You mentioned that gene editing is kind of the next foray, so to speak, the next right. big thing. I hate using that term, the next big thing, but, right. but, but it is right. And so I guess what, there's two questions, two parts to this question. How close are we to really being able to crack a lot of these diseases with gene editing and being able to develop therapies? I mean, and, and is it something that as we, find more therapies gets easier and easier to build new ones? Or is it something that it's like every 
each disease is its own unique puzzle and we got to figure it out every time from scratch. I think it's a little bit of both. I think gene editing has tremendous potential, but it's in early stages and the efficacy or the amount of, let's say, resulting protein is still limited and it's getting better. Um, but those are some of the challenges. It always takes so much longer than everyone thinks, mm-hmm. even myself, because of the experiments that you had to do, the regulatory path that you have to go through to prove that uh, these things are safe. So it's it's getting there. Mm-hmm. It definitely goes quicker because you learn, if you're using the same delivery vehicle like the AAV that we're using, you tend to use some of the same tools. And so it does definitely get easier to both develop and then also prove to regulators that, that one experiment will have read through to another, for example. And this might be a, a very silly question, but I'm curious, you know, like uh, people who study biology and they're, or any form of science for that matter, and are very entrenched in some of the most complicated parts of it. Uh, I'm always fascinated to hear about the themes and commonalities that they find out of it. Like the things about nature that it just like, like the way that pie works or something, you know, um, trying to think how to word this question. He's a math guy. He did, uh, (laughs) he was a, uh, theoretical math major. So he loves pie. I'm trying to, (laughs) I'm trying to think the way that uh, to express it the best way possible. You've noticed these themes in nature and you just, and they pop up again and again. You're just kind of like these just interesting phenomenons. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. So as you reflect over your scientific career, there's certain things that have popped up to you. And again, this is just a general curiosity question um, that you've noticed. I think it's, it's something that was probably obvious in retrospect, but all humans are very unique. And so the findings that you have in the lab most of the time, um, they work out the same in, in humans when you start doing clinical trials, but um, oftentimes there are obvious differences, and, mm-hmm. and that's why we've evolved that way. Um, and so you always learn something in every clinical trial um, that you have to then take back to the lab and then reiterate and go back to clinical studies. So I think it's that, and that even within clinical studies that you know humans are very different from one another, and so seemingly they look alike, but they might have different responses, things like that. So I think that's been the biggest and what about humans versus, you know, we do a lot of things on mice and monkeys and things like that. Like Pigs are becoming know, more and more. Pigs, yeah. You know, the pig. Um, but, <laughs> excuse me, I was <laughs> saying that again. Um, <laughs> you made me lose where I was going with the question. Uh, I guess I think I was going to ask, have you been involved with any other studies outside of just the humans? And if you've noticed with respect to gene therapy, are there translations between different, would you call those species? Or Yeah, yeah that's correct. Okay. Species, yeah. <laughs> I am not science. I'm telling you. What what else would you, what else would you have gone for? I don't have a, I would have just picked (laughs) another word that I know. I don't know a lot of words. No, it's a good question. Uh, Yeah. We, in the lab, uh, we get certain results and we've certainly seen differences in, in humans than we did in, in small animals. And um, I think some things that we had to adapt to, but um, it's worked out well. I think some other companies may have seen bigger differences that um, may cause concern, but we've been lucky that um, we've been able to adapt to it. And what about personal goals for the future? Like outside of science, what kind of things do you like to pursue? Are you an avid learner in all aspects of your life and you like reading? And I I mean, I'm, I guess I'm lucky in that my passion is my work. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's embarrassing, but I probably, this is my life. Yeah, and I, I read about science um, even in my spare time. But I think beyond my career at Sarepta, kind of beyond that, I would I'm passionate about science in schools and have done a lot of um, outreach in, in schools and, and talking about career paths. Also about doing what we're doing and so educating the community about the biotechnology industry. I think there's so many misconceptions out there and 
you know, I just like to be able to make a small difference and educate people so that they don't think that it's some um, black box, mm-hmm. um, something <laughs> sinister in a way, in some cases, right. what people think. So I'd like to be a part of somehow changing the dynamic there. Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there who hear gene therapy and think like experimenting on humans and changing them into toads and, you know, all <laughs> kinds of nonsense. So uh, it's definitely, there's definitely that kind of sentiment out there sometimes, but I'm curious, are there any other fields of science that you really follow? I mean, obviously you you don't have a lot of time to actually study other fields as much, but is there anything like, you know, are you super excited by astrophysics? Like, is there anything out there that, that you're like, yeah, I kind of follow this and I'm interested in it, but it's not my field. I will certainly read about things, but I can't say there's anything else that I read incessantly mm-hmm. about as far as other fields. I think a lot of times people will come to me and ask my opinion about you're a scientist something yeah tell me about gravitational <laughs> <Yeah>. waves <laughs> so then yeah. i'll then i'll go and then i'll do i don't know if people, other people do this but you start reading and then mm-hmm. you get linked to another article and then you're 10 articles in and so i tend to do those types of things hey everybody mike here to talk quickly about an amazing local organization casey cares and casey cares is hosting its inaugural 5k one mile walk on september 11th at lower.com field The event is super special as all of the proceeds go directly to help the brave, critically ill children in our community as Casey Cares creates little moments and lasting memories for those who are battling for their lives. Casey Cares knows that the best palliative care comes from continuous, ongoing support. And for families whose faith, relationships, and pocketbooks have been stretched to their breaking points, these programs with a special touch may be the only break many have from hospital stays and doctor's visits. To join Conquer and Columbus in supporting this amazing cause, you can register for their upcoming race by going to caseycares.org. That's C-A-S-E-Y cares.org. Participants will receive a t-shirt, finishers, medals, and will be able to enjoy post-race refreshments on the plaza at lower.com field. If you haven't been there, lower.com field is amazing. So we definitely recommend you go check it out, but we look forward to seeing you there. Don't forget, you can go to caseycares.org for more info. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get on with the show. So there's a there's a Reddit called Ask uh, Science, and it's all like to to respond. You have to like sign up, and it's all verified scientists answering questions for normal people on Reddit. So next time you guys have a science question, go check that out because it is pretty cool. There's a lot of like really interesting questions on there. They're mostly astrophysics related because everybody loves black holes popping up in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. But there's actually some really interesting stuff, and if you can pick up a lot of really like like they'll explain it in a way that makes sense. Right. Because they know they're talking to like the general public versus. So it's interesting. But I wonder I also wonder in my back of my head, I'm like, so if these people have time to answer these questions on Reddit, like, are they <laughs> are the they doing their job? That, yeah, <laughs> no. right. Uh, so never mind. No. But uh, I think that's a good place to kind of head towards uh, some of our last questions of the show, Luis. So we kind of talked about the future of the growth, where you guys are heading. I, I guess it's a good place to to ask, you know, would you have any advice for our listeners? And a lot of them are entrepreneurial minded, probably young professionals, entrepreneurs, people that in, in and around Columbus. So that's kind of who we're talking to. I would just say, find your passion and mm-hmm. go for it. And don't be afraid to say no or not follow someone's advice. I think one of the things I didn't get a chance to mention is that multiple times I was told you sh- you need to go to a different city or another institution. So after you graduate, you should go somewhere else to do your fellowship. After you do your fellowship, you should go to another city to do your mm-hmm. uh, faculty. And I stayed here the whole time and I've been successful. I'm not saying that's for everyone, but you can you don't have to listen to people and you could find your own path and just love what you're doing. I know that's not easy for everyone and I feel grateful that I can do say that, but that's 
that's what I would uh, recommend. I think that's really good advice, right? <laughs> Devices don't follow everybody's advice. <laughs> and I, but I think that's very, very true, right? Like everyone's going to have an opinion on what you should do and how you should live your life. But but you just got to follow your instinct and do what, do what you love. I mean, I, li- I like that a lot. Yeah. But also, why, why did you stay, right? So like you were so passionate about the field where you, there yeah. are obviously elements that, that drew you to want to stay here in Central Ohio. And so you just sat back and said like, I'm going to do everything that I can here and and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, we just really, my husband and I moved here over 22 years ago. We just really loved it. Um, I think it's a great, you know, I get you guys live here. You know, it's a, it's a great small, big city. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great place to raise a family. Um, and then on the, scientific point of view, um, Nationwide Children's is like the premier institution for gene therapy. And mm-hmm. so I wasn't giving anything up by staying. I would be giving it up by leaving. Yeah. Um, and so it was sort of the best of both worlds. We wanted to stay, but then it was also um, good reason to stay. Makes a ton of sense. Uh, our last question of the show, Louise, oh, is... Uh, I want to jump in and ask one more. And you don't have to answer this yeah, one, yeah. but I'm curious as you reflect in your career, and you think about maybe low points or, or parts that were a little bit more challenging. Are there certain areas or maybe it's always been kind of a struggle? Because I know in science, it's like, at least I think you're constantly facing roadblocks, right? And there's, it's really hard to get a win. And so how have you, have you experienced those and, and how have they, how have you weathered them throughout your career? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, science is, I forget what, the, it's like 90% failure is mm-hmm. the, <laughs> what people say. It's the whole point, um, right? Yeah, so I think what I've learned is that if what seems like, you know, an awful situation at the time, usually there's good reason for it. And a lot of scientific science is the truth. Um, And so when you reflect back on it, there was a reason that failed and then you learn from that. And so now I think when we, um, when I have a failure, I'm not quite as drawn down by it. I can say, there's a reason for this. Let me figure out what it is and move on. And so I guess my ability to adapt has just gotten better and better over time. And so I don't really get depressed over when something goes wrong, because I know there's a way to fix it. Louise, our last question of the show is centered on the theme here on Conquering Columbus, that's live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, I think it's a great phrase. I think I would say that I live uncomfortably every single day, because if you're not pushing yourself, then, you know, what are you doing? Um, So, sorry, that was too (laughs) blunt. But um, I feel like I've pushed myself to achieve more um, both scientifically and emotionally, I naturally a you know quiet person, someone that um, so pushing myself to to get out there and do things I think has always been important to me and something I've overcome. Well, we appreciate you joining us on the show, and it's been yeah. great talking to you. It's really been enjoyable. So thanks so much. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. That was Dr. Rodino Claypock from Sarepta. If you enjoyed that interview, you want to hear more just like him, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. You won't miss a single episode from us. We release every Monday. Thanks so much for all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Next week.